many of us would uh, say this morning, be honest enough to say this morning that uh, we're facing a situation in our life um, where that song is a, is, a, is, is a song of declaration and it's a song of faith, where we're singing that song as, a, as an act of faith, almost as an act of defiance, to say, Jesus, we know that you make the darkness tremble. And there's a situation I'm facing in my life. There's a, there's a moment that feels like there's darkness all around me. And I'm singing and believing in faith that, Jesus, you make this darkness tremble. Father, I pray that uh, for anybody who might be feeling that this morning, I pray that you would remind them of your peace, your peace that passes all understanding. Father, I pray that you would remind them that you are near to the brokenhearted, that your word says that you save those who are crushed in spirit. Father, I pray that you would remind anybody this morning who is sensing and feeling this moment of overwhelming darkness in their life, overwhelming trial, overwhelming uncertainty, I pray that you would remind them that you are with them in the midst, that you have not forgot them, that you have not forsaken them, that you have not abandoned them, that you have not left them, but you are with them. Father, I pray this morning that you would remind anybody who is walking what feels like through the valley of the shadow of death, I pray that you would remind them of what the psalmist wrote, that we don't have to fear evil. Why? Because you are with us. We pray that this morning. We pray that in faith. Faith doesn't mean we don't have fear. We need faith in the midst of our fear. So this morning, I pray for that. Pray that into our spirits this morning. I pray that into our hearts and our souls and our minds. We love you, and we thank you because of your grace and your kindness and your mercy, and the list goes on and on. In Jesus' name. You guys can be seated this morning. Uh, I want to welcome you to Grace Hill. My name is Jason, and uh, it is an absolute honor to have you uh, with us here uh, today. Thank you, Jeff and Hannah, for leading us so well, as always you do. And I want to say, if you're tuning in at home for the very first time, uh, watching, or if you're here in the room with us, I met some guests uh, that were with us that, uh, before the service started. It's so good to have them here with us today. Uh, if you're here, we've got a gift for you right after the service. I want to meet you in the back of the room, and I've got a... Uh, uh, CSB. It's called a scripture notebook. This is actually uh, first through third John. So it's a pretty cool layout where it's got the text of the word on one side. And then on the other side, it's actually got blank notebook pages where you can, as you're uh, reading the word, you can kind of journal the word, kind of journal your prayers, whatever it may be. I want to make that available to you right after the service. We have got uh, a lot of uh, great things that are happening uh, in the life of our church. Last week, I think this is going to be up on the screen. We kicked off this uh, kind of summer physical health uh, workshop series that we are doing, uh, just to kind of catch you up to know uh, sort of the backstory to this. We, uh, we had a sermon series in the spring called Health Goals. We've got a group of folks in our church who are passionate. They work in the uh, healthcare industry. They're passionate about helping uh, people in our church take steps to use, uh, th that they want to use their gifts to help you take steps to reach whatever uh, health goals you may have. And so we had that kickoff last week. It was so much fun for any of you who were around and got to see the smooth 
smoothie bike. I'm telling you, we need that every week at Grace Hill. Like we should just get one of those and set that out in the lobby and just let people ride the smoothie bike in case you're like, what is a smoothie bike, man? It was literally a blender attached to a bike and it ran the blender by pedaling the bicycle. It was amazing. And uh, so we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, And uh, this morning, right after our uh, service, we've got uh, some workshops, free workshops that are happening all summer long. And right after the service today, we've got our first workshop that's going to be led by Amanda Ling. So, hey, Amanda, come on up. I want to introduce you guys to Amanda. Can everybody say, hey, to Amanda, come on over. Amanda, if you can. There we go. Keep going. There we go. There we go. This is Amanda Ling. Uh, She is leading our very first workshop we're kicking off today right after the service. And so, Amanda, I just want to give you an opportunity just to share uh, maybe a little briefly uh, just kind of a summary of the workshop and invite everybody out to it. Okay. We're on. Good. Well, good morning. I'm Amanda. If we have not met, I know I met some of you last week um, at the kickoff, and I just want to personally invite you to join me in the parlor back this way right after the service today, and we're just going to talk basics of healthy eating. So kind of cut through all the confusion. Um, you know, when you go to, you know, when you go to our favorite nutritionist, Dr. Google, uh, there's a lot of conflicting information that you can find. So we're just going back to the basics on how to put things in our body that's going to make us feel our best. And why does that matter at church? Because when we feel our best, we can show up 100% to do the things that God has called us to do this summer and beyond. I will also add that if you have children with you today, Bring them along because nutrition really can be basic enough that kids can understand. So I would just love to see you right after church in the parlor. Hey, Amanda, if somebody's here and they're like, hey, I've got something to do after church today, can you tell anybody about kind of how long you're estimating this, the, the workshop to last, roughly? Um, well, probably 30 minutes. Okay. And then I'm happy to stay if people have specific questions as long as, you know, people want to you know, talk and get questions answered and, you know, talk about specific things, but, you know, kind of the basics of it, well, 30 minutes. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Amanda. Will you guys thank Amanda? It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, And then I also want to mention this morning that uh, we wrapped up our first short-term group uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually going through 1 John. We've got another short-term group that's coming back the end of the month, starting the last Sunday of June. And uh, this one is going to be sort of picking up where our last sermon series we were in called Divine Personality. It's going to be picking up where that one left off. And this one's going to be called Spiritual Fire. Uh, Dr. Randall Johnson is going to lead that one again. Uh, It's going to meet at 9 o'clock in the morning. So I really want to encourage you parents of students who are bringing your students uh, early on Sunday mornings. This is a great opportunity for you as well uh, to connect. This Again, this uh, short-term group is 100% free. All you need to do is just show up. would love for you to register just so we know how to better plan, and you can do that. You can go to gracehill901.com just right there on the homepage. There's a, that image uh, is there, and you can click on that. But really, this is open for everybody. And uh, Dr. Randall is such an amazing teacher. We are so blessed to have him here at Grace Hill. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Take that step this morning. Uh, And then here's one other thing. You had to move a card when you walked in. You had to move a card in order to sit down. And some of you may be not paying attention and you're actually sitting on the card and that's okay. Uh, But you had to move a card when you came in. There's a few different sort of variations of this that are in the room this morning. Uh, I want to encourage you. Here's, Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to take one of these cards uh, you've got one in your seat, but there's more out in the lobby out there by the coffee. You can grab a stack of them if you want to. Um, here's, I'm, I'm running into this every single week, uh, just going through life. People are looking for hope. 
They're looking for community. They're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for a place where they feel like they matter. And um, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, can it be, to invite somebody to come to church. And these little cards can just be an easy way to just say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about whatever it is going on in your life, or hey, I know we've been having this conversation for a really long time, whatever it may be, um, I would love for you to come to church with me. And you can give them this card, it's, it's not very imposing. One of them actually tells them that they matter, says you matter. Uh, you can give them the card, invite them to come to church with you, and I'm, I'm telling you, you never know the power. You never know the power of an invite. You never know how somebody's life can change because they come to a place like this on a Sunday morning, they get connected with other people, they, they find hope, they find some healing uh, because of Jesus. Uh, you just never know the power of a simple invite. So take one of these cards or take 10 or 15 of these cards, I don't care, just take them, uh, give them out to uh, friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, whatever it may be, as long as you won't get in trouble for soliciting. But you know, as long as you can do that uh, without getting in trouble, take one of these, give them out uh, to some friends and family and just see how God uh, might use you through the power of a simple invite. So last week we started a sermon series called Summer Baggage. And um, last week we looked at the baggage of bitterness, and really the idea was that uh, bitterness doesn't actually start as bitterness, it actually starts as unforgiveness. And I want to encourage you, uh, if you missed last week and haven't had a chance to catch up, you can go to our podcast, or really you can find everything, video, uh, podcast, whatever it may be, uh, gracehill901.com slash media, you can find everything there, watch last week, listen to it in your car, whatever, but uh, I want to encourage you uh, to go back and pick up on that because I think each of these weeks, while they're different and they stand alone, uh, on their own, they also kind of build on one another because these are all really relevant um, areas of our life that we're processing and we're dealing with. And today we're going to be talking about the area, the baggage of pride, namely the baggage of religious pride. And our text for today is Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 17 through 31. So if you have a copy of your scripture or if you want to follow along in a Bible app, uh, I want to encourage you to go there. I'm reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible. That's the translation that we use here at Grace Hill. And I want to encourage you to stand for the reading of God's word as I read through this this morning. So everybody in the room, if you'll stand with me, we're going to read this. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, who then can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. 
because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, look, we've left everything and followed you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, fields and with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated today. We can deceive ourselves from thinking that we are uh, exempt from certain commands of Jesus. That could be for a variety of reasons. They're either inconvenient, they feel too demanding, uh, culturally they may not feel relevant. Uh, maybe we've, you know, we've progressed in our modern thinking uh, you know, beyond you know, the Lord of the universe. I don't know. Uh, but we, we, can, we can kind of uh, get ourselves into a place where um, we think that we're exempt from these certain commands of, of Jesus. Or... We can become blind and numb even to some of the commands, and we can become blind and numb to some of the struggles that we face as followers of Jesus. And so it's important for us as followers of Jesus to look at ourselves objectively through the lens of God's word and through the lens of Jesus' commands and really through the lens of discipleship. Uh, to see what are the areas in our heart and in our life where maybe we're missing the mark a little bit, maybe where we're falling a little short, maybe where we need a little recalibration and a little alignment. And, and so many times, Jesus' words are the key to kind of straightening out uh, maybe whatever is crooked in our life. One of my family's favorite um, movies of all time, and it's an animated movie and it's excellent, is the movie called Shrek. And in the movie Shrek, uh, there is a um, character uh, named Lord Farquaad, and his pride in this movie, his pride uh, forces him uh, to look into this mirror, and he wants to know, mirror, mirror, on the wall. He wants to know who, who is the wisest, who is the most handsome, who is the most good-looking, who's the most dashing, who's the most brave. And many times he doesn't hear what he really wants to hear about himself. And in the movie Shrek and in this particular character, uh, he has the ability to look into the mirror and to have the mirror deceive himself because he doesn't hear what he wants to hear. But the challenge is, is when we go to God's word and in the heart of this guy, Even the word inherit that he says here kind of lets us in a little bit on his motivation. It's a word that means to take possession of or to obtain as one's own. This is what he's saying, uh, what should I do to get what's owed to me in the kingdom of God? Now, it's interesting that one of the other places, the first place actually in the New Testament that this word inherit shows up is in Matthew 5.5. And it's this upside down way that Jesus goes about the kingdom of God. He says this in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. He's coming to Jesus and wants to know what he must do so that he can get what he he feels is owed to him. He didn't want Jesus to be his savior. He wanted Jesus to show him the way so that he could be his own savior. What must I do? 
Dave Guzik, I reference him quite often here as a commentator. He says this, the man really didn't want, uh, didn't know who he was also. He thought that he was righteous and didn't really know the kind of person he was. When you don't know who Jesus really is, you probably don't know who you are either. And knowing Jesus comes first. And the answer that Jesus gives to this man is really telling. He replies to the man in verse 18 and says, why do you call me good, Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. Now again, we read this through 2021 lens and through sort of modern sensibilities and we miss a little bit of the historical context kind of underpinning that's there. When, when he says, why do you call me good? Of course we know Jesus is good, but, but again, this is pre-Bible. This is pre-cross, this is pre-resurrection. This is when Jesus was walking around poor as a rabbi, inviting people to follow him. And see, this was not Jesus denying his deity. Instead, he invited the young man here to reflect upon who Jesus actually was. It's as if Jesus was looking at the man saying, do you really understand what you're saying when you're coming to me telling me that I am good. You see, this title was never applied to rabbis because there was an assumption made that only God was good. So it was in a way, this man coming to Jesus saying, good teacher, and Jesus saying, hold up. You may not understand what you're saying when you say that. This is if Jesus wanted to make sure right here at the beginning Hey, I'm not just a nice guy, I'm not just a friend, I'm not just a great you know, uh, a communicator, I don't just have some stories that make people go, wow, that's amazing. The only person that is good is God, and if you're gonna give me that title, that means you're gonna give me that authority. Jesus says, hey, why do you call me good? He already knows what's in the man's heart. And he's beginning to kind of hold this mirror up for some reflection on this man. He says in verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to them, the man, he said to Jesus, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Now again, we need, to, we need to pause and we need to dig, okay? So if we, if we don't pause and we don't dig here for just a minute, we'll miss the significance of what just happened with this man and Jesus. What does Jesus do here? He begins to start rattling through the, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. I mean, this is what Jewish people in first century Israel lived their life by, the Ten Commandments. And he says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. He's referencing here commandments five through 10 in Exodus 20. We're gonna read that in just a minute. These are the commandments. If you look at the table of the law, there's a lot of connection that when Jesus says that the, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, he's summing up the entire law in those two phrases. Commandments one through four have to deal with loving the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And commandments five through 10 have to deal with loving your neighbor as yourself. 
And here, Jesus only references commandment five through 10. Stay with me for just a moment. I promise you this is gonna make sense, I hope. The commandments that Jesus cites in order out of Exodus 20 are this. Commandment six, commandment seven, eight, nine, 10, and then he goes back to commandment five. Now what's he doing here? Well, these external commandments, these commandments to, of, of loving your neighbor, they're external and they're certainly easier to quantify. It's easier to judge if you've kept these commandments or not. It's easier to judge if, if your neighbor has kept these commandments or not. But what does Jesus not mention here? Briefly, we're just going to jump to Exodus 20 for just a moment. I'm going to read through this. You don't even have to turn there. Exodus 20, verse 3, do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the Father's iniquity on the children to the fourth, third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You who are to labor six days and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now Jesus here doesn't mention these first four commandments that deal with our relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. Why? Well, I, you know, to be honest, it, the, one of the things about these first four commandments is if you've broken these commandments, it's a lot harder to tell. It's a lot harder to know sometimes. It's a lot harder to quantify them than commandments five through ten. And this is important because what's happening here is this mirror, mirror on the wall moment. Jesus is beginning to slowly reveal like peeling an onion, he's beginning to slowly reveal the man's heart to him. And I pray that this will reveal something to us today as well. Jesus is about to reveal the pride in this young man's heart. Because the first four commandments in the Decalogue, the, the, these, these, these commandments one through four that have to deal with loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, they are the commandments that deal primarily with idolatry. And we can make anything an idol. Tim Keller uh, has a, an amazing book on idolatry, but he talks about this so many times, and he defines an idol like this. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. And this is at the very heart of what Jesus is getting at in this moment. This is at the very heart of, of this, this idolatry, this religious pride that is in this young man. If you go back to the teachings of Jesus in Matthew five through seven, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, this famous sermon uh, that Jesus preaches, it's really sort of uh, unrolling out the, the ethics of the kingdom of God. This is what it's like to be in the kingdom of God. If you go back to that, and begin to outline this, 
you can see how this begins to radically shift things. And while it may be true that the man had kept all the commandments Jesus mentioned externally, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spends a great deal of time looking at the heart on what's going on internally. And if you go back and read Matthew 5 through 7, you'll notice that what Jesus is saying about the heart matters. What's going on in your heart matters. It's not just what your actions are. It's what you think. It's what you want to do. It's things that you may never do, but you desire for them to happen. Jesus says that's what matters. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus radically begins to define things. He doesn't just define murder as physically taking the life of someone in the Sermon on the Mount. He begins to say in the Sermon on the Mount that if you even think about it, you've already committed murder in your heart. Jesus so radically defines sexual ethics in the Sermon on the Mount. He begins to say in the Sermon on the Mount, um, you know, we say, some people say committing adultery is, is, is a physical thing between a man and a woman, uh, it, whatever it may be. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says that if you have even looked at someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. He begins to radically change, radically redefine what the kingdom of God truly is. And it centers, so much of, of our life as followers of Jesus centers on what is going on in our hearts. And Jesus is about to show this young man, and I pray that maybe he'll show us today too, the condition and the idol of our hearts. Verse 21, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And I want to mention this. This is not really the point of the message today, but I want to mention this because it is so important. Jesus looked at this guy, knowing what was in his heart, knowing that he had, had missed the mark. And what does Mark record for us? That Jesus still loved him. This is important to understand because it points to the heart of Jesus and it points to the heart of the gospel. This man didn't understand the kingdom of God. He didn't understand the, the severity of the question that he was asking. Most commentators think that he didn't even really understand who he was talking to in this moment. He wasn't, as we're going to learn in just a minute, he wasn't even obedient to what Jesus had asked of him. Yet, in the middle of this all, we see that Jesus loved him. This guy had it all wrong. And yet, Jesus loved him. And I want to say to you this morning, that is good news. That is the good news of the kingdom of God. That is the good news of the gospel of God. That we don't have to come with everything all figured out. We don't have to come with a perfect track record. We don't have to come with no mistakes in our past or wait till we get those things cleaned up. We can come to God with our, with our, with our ill, maybe our ill intentions, maybe our misguided hearts. And we see here in this passage of scripture that Jesus looked at this man 
and loved him. And just like this guy, Jesus desires. He desires from you that you would be obedient to his ways. But his love is for you even now. In the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your uncertainty, in the midst of your misunderstanding, in the midst of all the places that you've dug your heels in and you've thought to yourself, no, this has got to be the way that it's got to be. And in the midst of all that, we have confidence from God's word that God loves you. Jesus tells this guy, he loves him. And he wants for him to follow Jesus. He wants for him to, to come to him with this unhindered, unencumbered heart. And so he says to them, you lack one thing. And here's the one thing that you lack. You've got to sell everything you have. And you've got to give it to the poor. Now these are two significant actions significant actions, and I want to be really clear. We're not going to get to the back part of this text today, but I want to be really, really clear here for just a minute. Jesus is not condemning wealth, okay? He's not condemning wealth. Many of the early followers of Jesus had money. Many of those in the early church had money. He's not condemning wealth. What he is condemning here is he's condemning the idol of wealth, and I want to say this too, compared to a first century context, we are all wealthy. Enormously, enormously, enormously wealthy people. Jesus is not condemning wealth. He is simply condemning the idol of wealth. And Jesus tells him two actions. These are, these are separate even though they're connected. He says this, sell everything and give those proceeds away to the poor. Now. I just want us to think about psychologically how this was received in this moment. Think about the things that you treasure the most in your life. Think about the things that you treasure the most in your home. Think about the hard work that's gone into accumulating those things, acquiring those things, treasuring those things, and then having to sell them. Going through the process, one item after another that matters to you, that's got significance to you, that you bought with your own money, you saved up and you acquired that, you earned that rightfully. And Jesus in this moment is pointing this guy to the action of selling, the pain of going through and, and, and making a list of each thing and processing that and selling that. And then he tells him, then I want you to give the proceeds away to the poor. Now not only has Jesus asked him to, to, to get rid of all of his things, but now he's asked him, again, let's put this in our context, a, a stack of cash, a, a big Venmo uh, you know, account balance, and to not only give it away, but to give it away to people who didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it, they don't have the money to get those proceeds, to get what you have, you have maybe rightfully owned. And Jesus said, this is an idol in your heart, and if you're gonna follow me unhindered, unencumbered, with, with no idols in your heart, this is what you're gonna have to do. You're gonna have to sell everything, and then you're gonna have to take all those proceeds, and you're gonna have to give it away to the poor. 
You're going to have to walk that path. And why is this significant? I mean, this would be, this would be painful for us. This would be significant for us. Uh, some of us maybe have walked through some really hard financial seasons over the last year, and we've had to go through seasons maybe where we've had to sell things in order to pay bills, and that process is even painful. But what's happening here? Well, historically, in the time of Jesus, Jews viewed wealth as a sign of favor from God. It was not only an earthly uh, sign of favor, but it was also an eternal sign of favor, an, an, a, a what's to come sign of favor. That if I have wealth here on earth, I will have wealth in heaven. And so this man is, is walking, now just think about this for a minute. This man is walking around in this context, it was well understood that if I have wealth here, I have wealth there. This is the system that's going to get me there. I have wealth here. I'll have wealth there because I have favor from God. And Jesus says, you've got to sell everything. Empty yourself of all your worldly possessions and give them to the poor. People who did not earn it, they don't deserve it. They couldn't have that if they worked the rest of their life. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then you can come Follow me, unhindered, unencumbered from the idol that's in your heart. You see, this man had religious pride. He thought that he had earned his way into eternity. And he simply wanted to make sure that he had done all the things that he needed to do. Because he's looking around saying, hey, this looks pretty good. I've kept all these commands. I've got wealth here on earth, which means I've got wealth in heaven. And Jesus says, no, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have an unhindered, unencumbered heart, free from idols, and this thing is an idol for you. So you've got to get rid of it. And Jesus destroys the notion altogether that somehow or another we can earn our way, we can buy our way, we can do enough good things to inherit the kingdom of God. He says, you've got to divest yourself of this great wealth. This thing that you hold so dear, this thing that matters to you so much, this thing was going to keep your heart from fully aligning to the kingdom of God. So guess what? You've got to sell it all. You've got to give that money away, and you've got to come follow me. And right here, and this is... This is the way of the kingdom and the way of Jesus is so glorious. It is so beautiful. Right here is a picture of the model of the gospel. He tells him to go sell everything he has and give it away to the poor. The very people who could not earn it, the very people who could not, could not do for themselves. And in this, Jesus is even pointing to the way of the kingdom and the way of the gospel. Following Jesus here is the one thing, but it must be done with a sincere heart. You see, this wasn't the only time. This wasn't a kind of a one-and-done teaching for Jesus. In Luke 14, he says this, In the same way, therefore, each one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Jesus, his disciples, they understood this. Later in this very passage, we read it earlier, Peter says, hey, uh, Jesus, we've left everything. 
Remember the fish and the nets and the boat and my dad and all of that going on? Yeah, we left all of that for you, right? What's going on here? Jesus knows that things can turn into idols quickly. Verse 22, but he was dismayed. This is the man, the rich young ruler. He was dismayed by this demand and went away grieving because he had many possessions. This law-abiding, sincere man went away grieving. He went away sad. Why did he go away sad? I think he expected an answer from Jesus that would allow him to live his life essentially unchanged. And I want to say to you this morning, that is not the way of the kingdom of God. And it is not the way of Jesus. The word grieving here, it's translated uh, as, it's also translated as the word saddened, and it's only used two times in the entire New Testament. And the only other reference to this word in the New Testament in the Greek is the idea of a storm system. It's cloudy, it's gloomy. That's the way that it's translated the other time. And this gets to just the sheer gravity, the sheer emptiness of a life without Jesus. That you can have all the possessions, you can get all you want, you can have all you desire, you can buy all that money can buy, and yet a life without obedience and surrender to Jesus is an empty life. Jesus is going after this, this religious pride, this religious idolatry that we so often can have in our life. And if I'm honest with myself, and, and I hope you're honest with yourself this morning, my heart resembles the rich young ruler more times than not. You know, here in the Bible, about, man, we're good Christians, aren't we? we? We are good Christians, and it's easy for us to pick up this baggage of religious pride here in the South. And we've got a lot of the right external actions, don't we? Yet, if we're not careful, our internal motivations can be rotten to the core. We, we can begin to attach things to following Jesus that many times they are external things. And these attachments that we want to make to the kingdom and the gospel, they can oftentimes look like this, is that if, if, if you want to follow Jesus, you must blank. And in a year that we've come through, in a year over the last 14, 15, 16 months, there have been a lot of religious things that have been tacked onto that statement. So here's the question that I mentioned earlier, and I want us to wrestle with this question today. I don't want us just to skim by it, because I think Jesus has something for us in this. Is what would Jesus say to me? If, if you and I came and we knelt at the feet of Jesus and we said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He may not say to you, go sell everything that you have and give it away to the poor, but he might say something else. He might identify another idol in your heart, an idol in your life that is hindering your heart. It's hindering your, your allegiance to Jesus. It's hindering the obedience that you have to the Spirit of God. What might 
Jesus say to me? The first four commandments reveal a lot about the areas of baggage of our religious pride. You shall have no other gods before me. Now this could be any number of things in our life. It could be the God of morality, that we're just much more externally moral than some of the people that are around us. Maybe it's the God of self, or it's the God of self-sufficiency. I got this. Number two is, you shall not make for yourself an idol. How many ways in our hearts, this was so convicting for me this week, how many ways in, in my heart and in my life do I make an idol out of things? Maybe, it, maybe it's our religious pride that we have. Maybe it's deeply held cultural ideas about God and cultural ideas about certain people and we just can't give it up and it's an idol. We've made this an idol in our life. If I don't have this, life just won't be worth living. That's where many of our hearts have been. And I'll be honest, it's where many hearts got exposed over the last 14, 15 months. The third one is that you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. It can be so easy for us to attach the idea of Jesus into our idols. We can take something that maybe matters to us, something we might feel deeply committed to, and we will figure, especially here in the South, we will figure out a way, will we not, to attach Jesus to that thing. And by doing so, we misuse the name of the Lord. And number four, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. You see, Sabbath is, is not just a day off. Sabbath is about dependence on God. Stopping, resting, not in, not in what I can do and, and, and my hard work and, and the things, my project list and the things that I need to get done and, and the, the ladder that I've got to climb, whatever it may be. No, 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 this is about stopping and depending on God, not resting in my own provision, but in His. So I wanna end the message today by just having us pray through these four commandments. Because I think Jesus left them off for a reason. I think it was a clue that Jesus left there. It was, a, it was a guide for us that Jesus left there, that we need to pray these four commandments, around these four commandments in our life. That these areas where we've created religious pride, idols in our life, God exposed them. And so over the last um, month or so, I've been using an outline by a gentleman named Pete Scazzaro. He's a pastor up in Queens, New York. And uh, he has a framework for praying through the Ten Commandments. And you're actually going to get that if you want it as you leave today. You're going to get all ten of them. That we've got a handout that you can take today and use this in your quiet time and your prayer life. I've been using it in mine. And it's radically forming my heart. So we just want to take a minute and pray through these. And so I want to ask you to get in a posture of prayer. You can, you can, you can kneel, you can sit, you can, you can uh, bow low, whatever it may be. I want to ask you to do this. 
And the first one is this, is that you shall have no other gods before me. And, and here's, here's Pete Scazzaro's prayer that I want us to think on this morning. Lord, I detach myself from all things outside of you that compete for my ultimate affection. Lord, I detach myself from all things outside of you that compete for, my, for your ultimate affection. The second one is this, is that you shall not make for yourself an idol. And the prayer here is, Lord, help me not to shape you according to my own fears and ideas, but to trust and follow you like Abraham into the unknown. The third one is this, is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. And the prayer here is enable me to represent you well in every conversation and interaction. Lord, let that be so in our lives. Lord, let us represent you well in every conversation and every interaction with family, with friends, online, social media, our email chains, whatever it may be, our text conversations. Let us represent you well. And the fourth one is this, is remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And the prayer here is this, prepare me that I may rest from all my works each day and set apart a day to put all my earthly anxieties to delight in you. Father, help us do this. Strip away our religious pride. Strip away our, 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 the things in our life that we've attached to you. Reveal those places of weakness in our heart. Jesus, remind us that you love us even when we fall short in the midst of this. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service today by taking the Lord's Supper together. And, you know, Jesus invites us to remember him. And so uh, if you didn't grab an element uh, when you walked in, actually right there in the front of your chair back, uh, you've got them. And then underneath the chairs in the front row, you've got elements there um, uh, near you as well. I want to encourage you to take these. And Jesus, you know, divested himself of all earthly and heavenly glory to come to earth, to bring those who are far from God back near to God. And so that's what we want to think on and remember on today. We draw strength from Jesus who gave up everything and made the ultimate sacrifice. And so Paul has these words in Philippians 2. He says this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I wanna invite us to stand as we close our service together this morning and we take the bread and we remember the body of Jesus given for you and given 
for our Christian community, our worldwide community. And we take that and we remember him as we eat. And we take the cup and we remember the blood that Christ Jesus poured out and shed so that we could be brought right with him and brought back to him. We take and we drink. I want to close this with a a pastoral blessing this morning as you remain standing. Colossians 1. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we have not stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you guys for being here this morning. Don't forget our first health workshop kicks off just here in a few minutes. Um, You can grab one of these as you leave today. We've got some folks that will be standing at the door that will be happy to hand you this. Uh, Grace and peace to you as you leave. So good to see you today. Have a wonderful week. Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We really hope you found this message compelling and inviting. If you'd like to connect with someone to find out more about Grace Hill Church, or maybe discuss this episode or something else about life or faith, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly at gracehill901.com. We'd really love to connect and discuss anything with you. And please remember, you matter.